As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Groom Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standard. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Monday night here in the DMV. I just finished watching... The Bills beat the Steelers. There's one game to go in the playoffs. Um, but I wanted to get this podcast up for you guys. Um, guest today, our guy Al Galdi from the Al Galdi podcast, doing our weekly uh, conversation. This week he's over here. We obviously talked about what's now the official news that Adam Peters is the Washington Commanders GM. I, I think technically we, Al and I talked Minutes before that that announcement came today, but nonetheless, we knew it was coming, and it is official now that Peters is the GM. There will be a press conference uh, Tuesday out in Ashburn uh, with Adam Peters. But uh, Al and I talked, of course, about that. We talked a bunch about the coaching uh, search situation, uh, a little uh, pro and con Ben Johnson, try to look at it from all angles. Uh, and also, since the Commanders do have the number two pick, as we know, the, the, there's always this debate for me about do, do when do you play a young guy, when don't you play a young guy. We just had Jordan Love, an example this week of somebody that waited or that was you know sat for a while before he played and then came in and now it looks like he might be another one of those guys. Uh, so we had a, an interesting conversation about that in part because Washington obviously has the number two pick and there will be quarterbacks sitting there for sure. Uh, so we'll get to all that in a moment here on the Standard Room Only podcast. You can, of course, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Uh, also, make sure to check out The Athletic. I had a story up this weekend about those coaching candidates, the ones that we know about. Uh, five of them were in action this weekend. The two Baltimore uh, coaches will be back next week. Um, so, Al and I talked about some of those coaches, as I said, as well. Um, all right, so let's get to a couple things today. I want to get to the coaching search a little bit more, but just some, some notes. I mentioned Peters. It's official. Now, in addition to that, I was told by a source it is a five-year contract. I don't know about the money. We don't often find out about the GMs, but we'll see. I don't know if we'll ever hear that one. But five years for Adam Peters. Again, uh, you know, we already knew that this was coming. Of course, in the five years is, you know, it seems like a pretty standard 
deal. We'll hear more from him tomorrow. I think there's going to be a lot of interesting questions to ask. And look, it's not just what he says; it's the whole presentation. We haven't, you know, really seen we haven't seen him at all before in these parts. You can go online and see some interviews with him, but this will be the first time we get to see him in this setting as the main man. And how does he go about um, answering questions? You know, is he you know, give us a lot of detail. Is he pretty reserved? You know, we, we get all kinds, as we know. Ron Rivera was always pretty willing to give expansive answers. Um, some coaches or executives are pretty tight and won't say much. So just be curious to see how he's going to approach that. Um, I have heard, going, you know, back, you guys have probably mentioned the agent survey from months ago. In the praise he got there, but even in just the last couple of weeks, I, I've really yet to find anybody who has anything negative to say about him. So we'll see how it goes, how he how he introduces himself, and what information we get out of him tomorrow. One question I know that I, I imagine will come up is what's going on with all the current executives still here? If Adam Peters is the GM, does that mean they really can have two GMs at this moment because Martin Mayhew is still here? Uh, no, I mean Martin Mayhew is you know not the GM. But he's still here. What does that mean? Um, I, I kind of think Martin Mayhew is gonna stay. To be honest, I mean, I could be, I could be wrong about that. But the fact that they haven't let him go, and the fact that he and Peters work together in San Francisco's front office, says to me that he's feels like he could be staying here. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I, I'm sure I can hear the groaning because everybody who's just associated with anything here. Is going to get some groans. You know, oftentimes it's just a matter of what's the structure? How are people being used? What's the process? What's the communication like? And, you know, if you guys read my story in The Athletic, there was a lot of confusion in the front office in terms of who was doing what, what the roles were, etc. Um, you know, if Mayhew is in some sort of, a, you know, a player personnel role, or maybe he's like a senior executive or what have you I, you know I, clearly he's a he's an intelligent guy um he's a smart guy i i've you know I've talked to martin um you know over the years and you know it's not like he's telling me their player evaluation on different people but you know i don't see an ego being an issue with you know getting a quote-unquote demotion so we'll see uh we'll hopefully get more clarification not just on on May, uh, mayhew but marty herney eric stokes chris pullian tim gribble and anybody else they want to talk about. So this is something to keep in mind. We'll see what happens over the next coming days, but it won't stun me if Martin Mayhew is, in fact, sticking around. Um, all right, so I wanted to go through this coaching search situation. As I said, Al and I went through a few things for Washington, but it's important to look at the whole landscape, of course. And by the way, so they had a chance to meet with two candidates last week, Anthony Weaver, the defensive line coach with the Ravens, also, the associate head coach, I confirmed that one. Multiple reports had Mike McDonald, the Ravens' defensive coordinator, meeting with Washington as well. Makes sense. The Ravens were off last week. They will be on this week. But the coaches that now have gone through this last week are eligible to talk this week. They're going to have a, a virtual interview with Dan Quinn, the Cowboys' defensive uh, coordinator. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, the, the Cowboys were um, not good on defense against the Packers. You don't judge these things on one game. The, the the Cowboys defense is really good all year. Nonetheless, for a guy who has already been a head coach, um, you know, took Atlanta to a Super Bowl, otherwise it was like around like a 500, you know, probably not the way you want to go into interviews. 
There's also a feeling that he may be the favorite for Seattle because he was there as the defensive backs coach in the Legion of Boom days. So we'll see. But anyway, all the other ones would logically be meeting at some point this week. Uh, Ben Johnson, Lions OC, Bobby Slowick, Texans OC, Aaron Glenn, Lions DC. um, Who am I forgetting here? Yeah, of course, Raheem Morris, uh, D.C. for the Rams. We talked about him a bit. Uh, Al and I talked about him a little bit as well. Um, so those are the candidates that we know of. There could be other ones. It wouldn't stun me if Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator with the 49ers, uh, talks to uh, to the group at some point with Peters now here. The in-person interviews can begin a week from today, the 22nd. Uh, now that Peters is here, they can get to work on prepping for all of that and then uh, get going quickly there. But I did want to said go through some of the other teams. I did this a little bit last week specifically with the Chargers with my guy uh Daniel Popper who's Chargers insider for the Athletic. Mostly talking about that situation with Ben Johnson in particular. But I wanted to just kind of go through my thoughts here. This is not reporting. I'm just, you know, obviously I've been trying to look at this and and try to get a feel for what is going on here. Ben Johnson may be viewed as the leader in the clubhouse for Washington. I bet he's viewed as a leader in the clubhouse for other teams too. So what's the overall landscape and, you know, kind of what happens if Ben Johnson ends up somewhere else? So let's just go through a few of, the, of these now. Okay, so New England, obviously, they've already made their call. Gerard Mayo replaces Bill Belichick as uh, head coach. They need a GM in theory, but it sounds like they're going to stay in-house for now. Elliot Wolf uh, is a guy who's always mentioned as a potential GM candidate with other teams. He's still there, so it looks like New England will stay Pat, and then make a decision what to do going forward past the draft. Um, Tennessee, I'm going to put Tennessee sort of out of the mix in the sense that I don't get the sense that this is going to be a particularly hot job, right? They don't have an obvious quarterback. You know, we'll see what Will Levis or Malik Willis ever do, or maybe they draft somebody else. But, you know, that's not a particularly interesting scenario there. They were one of the you know bottom teams in the league this year. So I don't know if I see them being a hot Candidate, but you know they've. I, I've, I wrote down here Bobby Slowick, Brian Callahan, the Bengals OC. I think those are a couple guys to keep an eye on uh, if they want to. You know, a young developing OC that could be of interest there. Uh, where am I going next? Uh, let's go to well. Let's go to Atlanta. So interesting team here, right? Atlanta is a you know pedestrian team this year. They they at times looked like they could be. The NFC South winner, but ultimately they just kind of kept falling short, like losing to Washington this year. They, they clearly their issue is the quarterback. They have got a pretty good defense, was ranked high, you know top ten in, in various categories this year. Their offensive line is stout. They drafted three interesting playmakers in the last three years: Bijan Robinson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts. Uh, their former head coach Arthur Smith just was not getting enough out of them, so they got rid of him. It does feel like their owner Arthur Blank, who's you know around eighty years old, is looking to make that you know I'm not saying last big gasp. I hope he lives to two hundred, but you know what I mean, like looking to get that guy. And I think that's why it feels like the big game fishing here is Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick, if he's going to coach, it's all about seemingly trying to break down Shula's record. Depending on which list you look at, if you look at just regular season wins, he needs to average about nine over the next three years. If you're looking at combined wins, including the playoffs, obviously, then it's like, I think I want to say like 
14 or 16 that he needs to get. So however you want to look at that, that's what he's that's what he needs. And you know, look at New England. Say what you want about their offense, their defense was really good this year. They just had no playmakers, you know, no quarterback, and struggled with playmaking on offense. So obviously, you'd have to find a quarterback, and presumably. If you're going with a Belichick route, they'd go for a veteran guy. Um, nonetheless, you know they got to find a quarterback like so many other teams do. Um, you know, maybe they hit the veteran market. Maybe they're the team that pays up for it. Kirk Cousins. We'll have to see if Belichick is there. I think the question is then, what does this mean for their front office, which includes Kyle Smith as their assistant GM? Belichick is typically a guy with New England who has had control over personnel. Do all these teams or any of these teams say to him, hey, we want you to be the coach. We don't want you to be the personnel guy. We'll figure out a way to have you have influence, of course. But, you know, we're going to have to have other people making some of these calls. So that's an interesting one there for sure. Now, of course, this ties into the next team, the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Dallas is Mike McCarthy still here. He's still their head coach. But for the third year in a row, Dallas ends a 12 uh, 12 win season with a dud in the postseason. You know, it's not a matter of whether Mark McCarthy has lost the players. It's just whether they can get over the hump. Now, maybe it's not his, maybe the issue isn't McCarthy. Maybe it's Dak Prescott who was, who looked really just kind of out of it. The first half in particular as a green Bay ran all over them, or I should say through all over them, but they ran, they ran fine as well. So if Bill Belichick is, is uh, sorry, if Jerry Jones makes a call, now, a lot of people think Bill Belichick could go to Dallas, right? Uh, you know, Jerry Jones hired Bill Parcells once upon a time. He, you know, he's also a guy that's getting up there. I, I don't see Jerry Jones giving up any kind of a control, but maybe he's like, look, this is the guy who's arguably the greatest head coach ever. Let's make this move. I mean, Dallas has talent. There's not really an issue there, but they are missing the pe- you know, the final pieces, whether that's focusing on the little things in games and practice uh, just have a different mindset, whatever it is, it's something is not working. So could Bel- could Jerry go for Belichick? Absolutely. Uh, I also think though, the wild card for either one of those teams, Dallas or Atlanta, for me at least would have to be Mike Vrabel, who was, uh, was obviously fired by Tennessee uh, last week. You know, Mike Vrabel has looks to me like one of the better coaches in the league. He, you know, things fell apart for him in Tennessee because like in a lot of places when your quarterback situation is, unsettled or bleak it's hard to win and that seemed like what happened for him plus perhaps some organizational friction uh you know that their owner talked about when uh, he was let go nonetheless he's proven to be a pretty good coach so if Dallas does move on from uh Mike McCarthy you know if you tell me one of those Atlanta or Dallas gets Belichick and the other one gets Vrabel I kind of think that makes a lot of a lot of sense. Uh, you could argue which one would be better for either either direction, but you know Atlanta's got to get a quarterback, and you know that could dictate some things as who wants to go there as well. But I, I kind of feel like if 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 McCarthy is gone, I'm giving Belichick to one of those teams and Vrabel possibly to the other one. All right, so that's that's just something there. Let's move to Seattle. Seattle has become. The Dan Quinn team, since uh, they reassigned Pete Carroll to the front office. Pete Carroll, I guess, is a candidate out there to be a coach. I, I haven't heard too much about anybody looking at him, but look, obviously Pete Carroll is, uh, you know, 
you know, the overall resume speaks for itself. They have just been unable to sort of get over the hump the last couple of years. Uh, but you know, what what do, what do we make of Dan Quinn again after this terrible performance? In and of itself, that should not change too much. But he is a defensive coach. Pete Carroll was as well. You know, do, do we see teams all the time go from one one dynamic to the other depending on you know if you had this the next time you hire that. Well, one guy I keep mentioning is Dave Canales, the OC with Tampa Bay. He'll play his team will play tonight. We'll see what they can do against a terrible uh, Eagles defense. But Baker Mayfield at least seems to be limited going into the game. Anyway, Canales did some really good work with Tampa Bay this year, getting Baker Mayfield kind of resurrected, just like he did with Geno Smith in Seattle. He was Russell Wilson's quarterback coach for a few years. So, you know, he knows that organization. You know, I've heard some pretty good things about him. Again, it's similar to like sort of the Bobby Slowick thing. I think he's a little bit older, but hasn't been. He's only been a coordinator for one year. Is that enough time to show what he can do? So, you know, for me, Quinn and Canales would be the two guys I would be looking at in Seattle. Uh, let's go out west. I feel like the Chargers and the Raiders are a little bit connected here because of Jim Harbaugh. Those two teams feel like the ones where Harbaugh could land. And I can also see scenarios where he gets shut out altogether. Um, let's start in Vegas. Obviously, Antonio Pierce has gotten a lot of attention for what he was able to do in an interim job. Not just they won some games, but there was a clear attitude switch. Even in the games they lost, you could tell that they were really you know, that they found something. Whether it's motivation or scheme, they found something new after firing Josh McDaniels. The question is, you know, and and apparently like Max Crosby is threatened to force force a trade if they don't pick Antonio Pierce. They also need a GM. They've got Champ Kelly as an interim GM who's you know going to get some looks in other jobs. Um, and, and Pierce has been interviewed as well, I believe, by the Titans at least. So we'll see how demand those two are in. I, you know, I kind of feel like maybe Pierce does stay. You know, they need some stability over there. They've been going through coaches left and right. Uh, and, you know, clearly he did something over there. Now, what does that mean for a longer term? Is it more of a motivational short fix or is it the long answer? He was, what, I think the linebackers coach. He wasn't even the defensive coordinator. So that's tough to say. But right now, I would guess. Pierce. However, Jim Harbaugh is apparently going to be in the mix. The the, the, the Raiders have interviewed uh, Colts assistant GM Ed Dodds for their GM job. Ed Dodds and Harbaugh have some connections. It's been thought that where one goes, the other one could go. So that is something to keep an eye on. If Ed Dodds is really in play there, then maybe Jim Harbaugh is more in play there. But then you have the Chargers, right? The Chargers, and we talked about this last week, you got Justin Herbert, you've got stud players at the core positions you need, but they've got some salary cap issues for sure. So how does that get resolved? And, you know, if, if Jim Harbaugh's there, you know, what extra complications does that cause? Does he want to have final say in personnel? Um, you know, Jim, he's not the easiest guy to deal with from all the reports you hear about over the years. So where, how does that leave the uh, ownership group? Uh, at the moment, I kind of feel like Harbaugh to the Chargers is what I would, you know, put in my answer uh, as my answer right now with uh, Pierce to the Raiders. Um, but I look, I didn't even mention Ben Johnson. That's another you know team that's going to the Chargers or who are going to want to look at Ben Johnson because, uh, you know, obviously he's got a lot of credentials. You've got Justin Herbert already. Is that a situation where 
makes sense for Ben Johnson. And one thing I said this with Al, but just to, I'll start it here. Uh, look, I don't know what Ben Johnson's hopes and dreams are for, for, for getting a head coaching job. Maybe he is just super excited to coach the team and doesn't want to deal with anything else, uh, management or uh, player personnel or any of that stuff. Maybe he does, right? I mean, money is sure is a factor, but that can't be, the, it's probably not the only factor. His agent will certainly take advantage of the opportunity he has. He's got some leverage. How much leverage is the question? He's only a second year coordinator. Um, but, you know, the Raiders and Chargers are two teams that don't currently have a GM right now. Maybe he went there and uh, said, hey, I'll, I'll take the, your job. I want this person as my GM, whatever that would mean. Okay, you know, something to keep in mind. Maybe it doesn't matter, and maybe he's cool with Adam Peters already, and, and we'll just come here. Uh, the, the team I haven't mentioned yet, which is another Ben Johnson team, and that's the Carolina Panthers. Th- this one feels like the biggest wild card of them all, because this, this feels like it will come down to owner David Tepper opening up his checkbook and telling whichever candidate he's eyeing the most, what's it going to take? Some people will be a what's it going to take kind of person. Others will say, nah, you can't buy me. I'm not interested. This is another team that needs a GM. I guess I keep wondering, like, you know, obviously Tepper's reputation can't be that great. Now, I did talk to somebody in that building um, late in the season, and, you know, they said to me, look, obviously – the reputation is what it is, but that he's, you know, he's been really good um, with the staff that, you know, people like him there. Again, I don't know if that's a universal truth or not, but the person I talked to who's got some, um, you know, some sway over there, um, that's what that's what he said. There was no reason to lie. So whether the rep, the temper reputation, which is a lot of it's earned, they've been a big mess since he's taken over. Um and also, they don't have a lot of draft picks anymore, having traded a bunch for Bryce Young, who played better late in the season, but is hardly, uh, you know, hardly near, not nearly as good as CJ Stroud did this year. You know, how interested are people in in this scenario? Uh, a young quarterback you have to develop, fewer draft picks than you would like. This owner who's uh, a bit all over the place. What does this look like? Well, again, this is where money talks. How much money would it take to get Ben Johnson or maybe Mike Vrabel or Jim Harbaugh? to uh to go there i'm not ruling out kind of anybody i would rule out like belichick because belichick needs wins and that team isn't necessarily going anywhere but you know again dan snyder got mike shanahan he got joe gibbs out of retirement he got steve spurrier to leave college people will do things you know to come here and especially if money or to come to a team especially when money is in play so all of that is to then say, well, where you know, where, where does Washington go from here? Let's just say Ben Johnson ends up on one of those teams. Then what? Well, I think then is a really wide open question. I don't see Bill Belichick coming here. Again, this is a rebuild situation. And, and, and also, like, I just don't see Belichick being the type of guy that Josh Harris is looking to, to start with. I don't see Jim Harbaugh either, especially now that Adam Peters is the head of the front office. I would imagine Harbaugh is going to want say in personnel. That's not going to fit here um do you go the bobby slowick route he's 36 a one-year coordinator it looks good so far with what we've seen but you know being being the top of the food chain on the staff is a huge huge deal and he may not be ready for that or at least maybe they will think he isn't ready for that um i'm curious about mike vrabel i'll be honest i don't have any insight into this but he you know if we're going to play the game of do you how do you know do you know somebody well, he was a player on those New England teams where Adam Peters was a scout. 
I don't know how much they interacted. And even if they did, it was, you know, 15 years ago or so. So who knows to say what that means. But it's not to say it doesn't mean anything if we're going to play this, you know, so-and-so knew so-and-so in this place or that place. So I am curious about that. Also, you know, look, I mean, Vrabel's a, a pretty good coach. He, uh, you know, if he wants to go to an immediate winner, okay, well, this probably isn't the place then. But for the same reasons we've said why it was an attractive place for an, uh, for an Adam Peters or a GM, same would apply for the coach in terms of the assets, the salary cap, et cetera. And, you know, with the, in terms of talent on defense, you have John Allen and Deron Payne, assuming they're both back. Sure, it thins out from there. The secondary, you know, can the new coaching staff get more out of Emmanuel Forbes? Does Quan Martin, has she, he's shown enough to play from the start this season. Benjamin St. Juice, good moments, some tougher moments this year. Again, what does the new coaching staff think of him? You've got Derek Forrest, you've got Percy Butler, and then there's, you know, needless to say, you know, even Jamin Davis. And then needless to say, you know, what happens with um, Cam Curl? Uh, what do they do at defensive end? Things like that. So, not going to say it's a stud lineup, but I'm not going to say it's like completely devoid of talent and maybe better coaching gets them up to another level. So, here's what I would say. So, I think that's interesting. Again, I have not heard that mentioned, but I, I, you know, everybody can't get Ben Johnson. So, just because he may be viewed as the favorite here and just because they landed Adam Peters pretty quickly, I wouldn't say automatically means he would be coming here or as Al and I discuss whether it even makes the most sense, but I get, I, we, we, we all get the interest in Ben Johnson and why that would take place. I will say that I thought that Raheem Morris covered the spread last night in terms of him against Ben Johnson. The Lions only had three points after taking that big lead. And, uh, you know, the Rams defense, I thought did a pretty good job of, uh, sticking the Lions in the second half. So, I, I, I feel this is a lot more convoluted unless Ben Johnson really is the guy and he is willing to come here. Because if it's not him, boy, I, I you know, like I said, I think Raheem Morris to me would be interesting. Uh, bring over Thomas Brown, who was with him at the Rams. He was like Sean McVay's running back coach and associate head coach who went to be the OC for the Panthers this year in that sort of mess. You know, could you could you bring him over to be the OC, a, a Sean McVay tree guy? That seems to be working for a lot of people. Um, so that's something, perhaps. Uh, you know, do you go for Mike McDonald or Bobby Slowick, two young guys who haven't been a coordinator very long? They both had impressive seasons this year. Uh, that would just be a question of what are they looking for out of that position. Maybe if you have him as an OC, you bring in sort of the way Rivera did with Jack Del Rio. You bring in a former head coach to serve as the you know defensive coordinator, so to speak. Uh, and, and then, you know, can you bring in a um, an offensive coordinator? You know, I, I keep thinking, who is Peters going to bring from San Francisco? Brian Greasy's been the quarterback coach. Does he have the goods to be a coordinator? Don't know, but he obviously played in the league a long time. And, uh, you know, it seems like he's done some good things with Brock Purdy. So um, those are some things to keep an eye on for now. But uh, Ben Johnson, you know, there's a lot of talk about that. I get it. I need to know more about his relationship with Adam Peters, as well as what is Ben Johnson looking for in all of this, and that may determine a lot of whether Washington is really in play for him or not. All right, I'm in play to hear my conversation with Al Galdi. So let me get to that right now. Uh, You'll hear from Al Galdi 
and, and I talking a lot about this commander's offseason and the NFL playoffs and more here on the Standard Grimaldi podcast. All right. Uh, this is exciting. Have not had this person on the show in at least two weeks, give or take. What is that right? Two weeks? I don't know. Whatever. Over a week. Al Galdi is back because this is what we do. We talk to each other every week one way or another. We're not braiding each other's hair or anything, but we do talk about the commanders an awful lot. Um, can I ask you a, a non-commanders question though, before we start, since you are a well-rounded individual uh, po- uh, host on the Al Galdi podcast or Al, Al Galdi show? Yeah, Al Galdi podcast. You, you can ask me about any topic there is. I, I'm an open book man, so whatever you want is fine. All right, well, I'll stick to one of my nose in your wheelhouse. Are the Orioles going to sign a legit starter here at some point or get one? They're already down Gibson. They haven't replaced him yet. What, what are we doing here? Yeah, uh, I would think they're going to do something, but so far they've done a whole lot of nothing, so I wouldn't assume anything. Um, You know, what's very difficult to assess with the Orioles is do they do so little because they're not allowed to do more by John Angelos or because Mike Elias is like that forward thinking to where he sees how much free agency doesn't work and so he's not a big believer in it i'd like to know the truth about that i would think that mike wants to be doing more and just isn't being allowed to by ownership but you know last offseason they did not do much and it worked out pretty well so i'm not like panicking over this but i think that is a big deal like does mike elias want to be doing more and ownership has him handcuffed because if the answer is yes then that obviously uh is a big problem you know we got we we had the Commanders get sold. We got to next get the Orioles and Nationals sold. We got to get all three sold within like a two year period, and uh, we'll be good to go. Yeah, as long as they're not being sold to anybody who currently owns a team, I'm good. <laughs> um, the um, you know, it's similar to the you know the regular season and the postseason are so fascinating how people view it. You know, in like the EPL, there is no playoffs. You play it right. I believe you play everybody twice. And then whoever has the most points wins as opposed to the way we do it. You do this whole long regular season. And then there's this truncated version where it's like, not, it's kind of a different deal You know, in, you know, baseball and basketball, you have the series football. is just a one and done, which is the same, but like, there's only a few teams and the difference is massive between the two. Uh, and this is like, you know, we'll get, we'll talk about this weekend, the Dallas Cowboys, right? Three years in a row, 12 wins, regular season. If you just looked at that seems pretty good. I remember I went to a Georgetown uh, season-ending function one year for their basketball team, and they do like a video showing the whole season. and the And the video ended when they beat uh, Syracuse in, in what was to be the last game of the uh, of that rivalry as Big East foes. Ignoring that they then lost to Syracuse in the Big East tournament and then lost to Florida Gulf Coast a week later, that didn't make the cut. But but that's not how this works. We all focus on the postseason, and therefore my point is, like you can get through a regular season in baseball with good starters, but in the postseason, you typically have got to have one or two dudes who are stepping up and can throw you seven innings, one run, you know, you know, and that's that, that, you know, so it's like, yeah, they'll they'll get, they'll be fine. But at some point it's like, okay, how do you get past that level? Yeah. And it's tricky though in baseball now, because first of all, the last two years with the expanded format, we've seen so many good regular season teams get ousted so early in the playoffs. And so, yeah, it it is becoming more and more like the NHL or the NFL, you know, to where there's the regular season and then like everything resets to zero. But to the point about starting pitching, it is interesting. So there certainly are many examples of great starters elevating teams in baseball postseasons past. 
But I tell you, over the last like 10, 15 years, there are a lot of instances of great regular season starters getting shellacked in the postseason. So that does happen too. So it, it kind of like can go either way. And a lot of it is just like, however it plays out, that sort of drives the narrative. And, you know, I always think about the Nationals in this regard. The 2019 Nationals, were they that much better than the 2012, 2014, 2016, or 2017 Nats? I don't think so. I actually think you could argue the 2019 Nats were the worst of the Nats playoff teams in terms of how those teams performed over the 162. But, of course, everyone remembers what happened in October. And that's what so much of this is. It's just like, does the bounce of the ball go your way? Does the 50-50 stuff play out in your favor and if it does you can go far and if it doesn't you know you can be ousted early but I, I think that like I think any of us want to admit but I think there's a lot to that to where you know you're doing well in a postseason versus not doing well in a postseason a lot of the time I think that's based on stuff that you can't control and, and that is fluky in a lot of ways yeah I I my, this is my contention always the goal in terms of how you build your team should not be to win a title. It should be to contend because if you put yourself in position to contend, right. If like, you know, I mean, the capitals are a great example of this. What was it? 20 years. Basically they have gotten past the second round one time, one time. That's why I was so many disappointed finishes. The one time it worked out and people will take that one time and, and move forward. But if you kind of just go all in and then it doesn't quite work out, well then you're, you're setting yourself back and, and, and you're probably making some irrational moves that set your you know that set you back in multiple ways. So um and obviously this is gonna be a huge point of what happens going here with with Adam Peters as he, you know, starts to to look at this team and look figure out how to reshape it into a you know consistent winner slash um slash contender. But yeah, that's what's so interesting about the playoffs, right? I mean, Dallas, you know, maybe I'm harping on this a little bit because it's fun, but like you know, watching Dallas implode every year i mean it's amazing that dan snyder bought the team in 1999 and since then both the, the cowboys and the commanders have gone to zero nfc championships they've been better there's no argument but in terms of the the, the goal that we set as winning it all they're no, no better that than than these guys are and that's because again whether it's bad luck or whatever if we it, it, you know if we and again in the epl the whole thing is the regular season. That's it. But when we hear we have these playoffs, well, then the regular season kind of doesn't matter as much, um, except for things like, you know, how many stats did you get to go to the Hall of Fame? Yeah, the Cowboys thing is fascinating. I mean, first of all, there, of course, is the schadenfreude that every Washington fan, myself included, feels, which is like just reveling in them repeatedly falling on their faces January after January. But if you look at it objectively, like, what exactly should you change? I mean, the offense, regular season-wise, really good. The defense, regular season-wise, very good. I think they are in such a conundrum with Dak Prescott because he's too good to dump, but he's not good enough to be great. He's not good enough to, like, carry you in a postseason. He's exactly what Tony Romo was, like a good quarterback, too good to just say, forget about him, let's move on, because you could do a lot worse than the guy. But he's not good enough to really take you deep into January on his own. Like, could he be part of something that goes deep into January? Yeah, but he's not good enough to overcome a bunch of stuff. And he hasn't been overcome, been good enough to overcome a bunch of stuff. So, yeah, I, I think, like, you know, to get away from, you know, being so happy about what happened with the Cowboys, 
I think trying to fix the Cowboys is actually rather difficult because there isn't that much that can be better. You know, there, there isn't that much that you look at and you say, well, this has to be fixed. I mean, they were at home, right? They've been such a good home team. They were facing a team in the Packers that had one of the worst defenses in the NFL this regular season. I mean, that game to me was as much about the Cowboys defense just completely choking, completely getting run over as anything else. And, you know, I do think that there actually is a larger thing here going on in the NFL. And I think this is so fascinating. For years, man, good defense beat good offense in NFL postseasons. We saw it again and again. And we don't see that anymore. What happens now every postseason is at least one or two really good defenses from the regular season get got in the playoffs. And it's not even just that, like, the defenses struggle. They get steamrolled. I mean, we saw that this past weekend with both the Browns and the Cowboys, two of the top defenses in the NFL this season, didn't just lose but got humiliated. Uh, We saw that this past Super Bowl, the Eagles defense, which was so good last season, have all kinds of problems with Kansas City. Two playoffs ago, the Patriots went into the postseason with a really good defense, got smashed by Buffalo. And Washington in 2020, right, that really good defense, Chase Young rookie season, et cetera, that defense got worked by Tampa Bay. It's funny with that game because I know a lot of people have gone back with that and said, well, that Washington defense was overrated. And, you know, to a point, you can say that. But I think that's just part of this larger phenomenon of what used to be true is no longer true. And that is good defense doesn't beat good offense in the NFL playoffs anymore. I, I think the opposite now is true. Yeah, it's definitely the opposite, which, by the way, is why I loved, loved, loved the Rams-Lions game because it was much more reminiscent of games we were seeing many years ago. Sure, there were explosive offensive plays in the first half, but in the second half, it was all the, the defenses. I mean, the, the, the Lions, we'll get to them and Ben Johnson in a minute, the Lions scored three points in the last 36 minutes. Um, You know, and the Rams were, were stopped three all three times in the red zone. Otherwise, you know, based on how the game was going, they probably – when there is just not enough of that. And I, per, I mean, shootouts are fun who, you know, whatever, but like at some point it is fun to play defense. I don't need it looking like an all-star game at all times. Um, And it's hard because of the rules, the way they are. And, you know, can't touch guys in a certain way, whatever. So like it is, it is tough, but, um, but yeah, but, but I mean, also like it comes down to, and this is, you know, what people say, well, you know, you're getting, you know, the front office, they get hired to, to get to pay, to pick these guys and they got to do a better job or, uh, you know, they that that's my favorite bit when I talk about somebody who's like just football grunter, you know, um, who 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 puts logic aside. When you're evaluating these people, you're evaluating everything you could possibly can, including the mental. But how do you know definitively how a human being is going to react when the chips are down or when the pressure's on? You don't always know. You can't even just say, well, based on college. Typically, these guys in college have the best talent around them, right? I mean, you know, depending on the. Uh, scenario so it is not like it's easy to just say how did they do um th- th- that's why like you said with Dak Prescott same thing with like Kirk Cousins to a degree yeah he's good how good to what extent I mean the Wizards had this with Bradley Beal too right I mean not so much maybe at the very end but it was like all right Bradley Beal's good John Wall's even good when they were healthy is that enough to actually win a title I never really thought that somebody else was going to have to join the party but the Wizards also were like, well, if we let them go, then we have nothing. So yeah. um, it, it, it is a tricky balance. And again, this is going to be the stuff we get to talk about a lot now with a new GM here. And we'll still have to see if they're officially going to rebuild or, or what they're going to do. Um, we haven't talked since the Adam Peters news became official. 
what what uh you know i think we all kind of sense it was going this way so what was your reaction when it actually happened yeah i mean i talked about this on my podcast i think there are two levels to this and i think it's hard to decide if you're a commander's fan which level makes you feel happier but there's the result which was getting the guy who if he wasn't the top head of football ops candidate this offseason certainly was among the top head of football operations candidates this offseason. But then there is the process. And I think the process is just so impressive. And the more that comes out about this search, the more that you love it from a Washington fan perspective. I mean, Josh Harris was prepared for this. Josh Harris was aggressive with this. I think pretty clearly Adam Peters was the target. And so Josh Harris was successful with this. He got the guy who he wanted all along. And you know, I think looking back on the regular season to those who felt that Josh like was too passive and, you know, didn't show enough that he was bothered by how poorly the team did in the season, should have fired Ron Rivera in season, et cetera. I think clearly what was going on was Josh Harris was putting together this plan. And from day one of the team's offseason, right, we were off and running with the announcement of the advisory committee. And, you know, he had statements from Bob Myers and Rick Spielman on Monday morning. Like this was all set to go. And then as that day went on, this avalanche of reports from people like you of all of these head of football operations candidates and head coaching candidates who the team was requesting to interview. And then days two and three of the offseason, you get five interviews of head of football ops candidates. And then by Thursday, you get the thing narrowed down to two people, Peters and Ian Cunningham. And then by Friday morning, we find out that Peters is getting the job. I mean, this thing moved at warp speed. This just comes off like such a professional, aggressive, well-thought-out, well-executed plan. And so that, to me, is as encouraging and as impressive as the hire itself. I mean, there's so much to like about Peters as an executive, but the process here screams of a competence and a professionalism that, of course— uh, the Washington NFL franchise has uh, not had in a really long time. Yeah, no, for 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 sure. And uh, you know, we've got a long way to go to see what the plan is, and if not, let alone the execution. But you know, I, I have yet to hear from anybody around the league. Um, people are can be very catty behind the scenes, you know, as, we all, <laughs> as we all know. I, I have yet to hear anybody say anything really negative about Adam Peters. I mean, obviously, again, you know, who knows? Uh, we, every every year there's somebody who's hired, you know, Brandon Staley was hired by the Chargers. Here we go. Here's the wonderkin, a, a Sean McVay coach. This guy is so smart. Look out. Well, obviously, it, was a, it, it flamed out quickly in three years. And, uh, you know, George Payton with the Broncos, he was the hot candidate that year that he got hired there. And it's been kind of a mess ever since so you never know but so far so good and you know i've discussed before it is also a combination of a guy like adam peters wasn't even interviewing with washington previously let alone taking the job so it does go to show how the how change is already in the air with how people are looking at the commanders um i do want to get into a uh, slightly different topic here with you, Al. Um, the screen just paused there, but you haven't missed anything. The uh, the uh, um, and, and that is uh, what you know. Okay, so now we're up to the coaching search. Five of the seven coaches that we know that they are interested in 
played or their teams played this weekend. There were some mixed results in there. Um, Bobby Slowick, the OC with the Texans, you know, it, to whatever degree anybody's stocks move in any direction, his stock certainly went up. They Houston just trounced the Browns, you know, what number two ranked defense uh, w- with CJ Stroud and the receivers were open all day and there were some great uh, routes run and all those kinds of things. Then you had Dan Quinn on the with the Cowboys. He's scheduled to meet with Washington on Thursday. All interviews virtually now. Obviously, Dallas's defense got you know destroyed. Um, and I'm curious what you think about the there were three coordinators going into the Detroit Rams game. Um, did any of that kind of move anything, move the needle for you, or get any, you get you excited about anybody in particular? Well, I mean, obviously, Slowick, you love even more. Um, you know, watching and following the first half of Lions Rams, you love Ben Johnson even more. I know the second half wasn't as good as the first half, but that really was an offensive clinic that the Lions put on in the first half of that game. I mean, I- I've gone into this with a bias and admitted bias. Like I do want an offensive minded head coach. And I do recognize that you can have a defensive minded head coach and still have a good offense. Right. We see that with the Texans. But like if you're asking me to script this out. I would want an offensive-minded head coach. So to me, the defensive-minded coach is starting off behind a well-regarded offensive-minded head coach and is going to have to really prove himself here. So like, you know, Dan Quinn, whatever you think about him, yeah, I mean, I'm really not that interested anymore. Although I have to say this, I actually respect the fact that the commanders are interviewing him on Thursday because you shouldn't ever let one game, one outcome, dissuade you from something that you do believe in or at least have interest in. So If you're Washington and you do like some things about Dan Quinn and you do want to at least talk to him, you shouldn't let one really bad game get you off that track. Now, that doesn't mean that you should hire Quinn, but, you know, it actually would not be good if a team let one game like that just totally alter all your plans. Like, I don't think you should operate that way. If you like the guy, you like the guy. You shouldn't let one game change that. But I think the stock of Bobby Slowick only went up. The stock of Ben Johnson continues to go up and I think it's hard to not look at those guys especially Johnson who already is being said to be the top target and say okay that's the guy who the commanders want now you know I think it's interesting is the head coaching hire going to be what Adam Peters wants or is it going to be what Adam Peters in conjunction with Josh Harris want like you know how much of this truly is Adam Peters call I hope that it is Adam Peters call But, you know, there is kind of this odd dynamic, right, of the search kind of started before Peters got hired. Uh, Now, does it completely get driven by Peters or is it more of a group effort, Peters and Harris and, you know, maybe even this advisory committee, too? So I think that's notable. And, you know, there's there are wild cards here, too, right? Like you, you want alignment between Peters and whoever the head coach is or Adam Peters and Ben Johnson going to be good with each other work well with each other you know and and that's a wild card we don't know we don't know much about these people in terms of personality in terms of ability to get along with others it certainly sounds like adam peters gets along with a lot of people but you know this is a tricky one because there's information that we don't have but yeah on the surface boy i think it's really hard as a as a fan of the team especially not to say give me peters give me ben johnson give me a quarterback at two in the draft and let's go, you know, like that, that's a trifecta that I think every Washington fan would have signed up for going into this off season. Um, I feel like I'm on the uh, devil's advocate uh, role here when it comes to the Ben Johnson stuff. Not that I'm not, you know, impressed or whatever. Um, but I'm not 
I, I guess I'm just not all the way in the way maybe others are. So it sounds like you were as impressed or more impressed coming off of that game. Well, I mean, Slowick stock went up the most because of what he did against a great defense. Sure. But I, I like Ben Johnson like a lot of people going into the weekend, and I still like him coming out of the weekend, especially I mean, that first half I thought was great. So to, to that end, I mean, obviously, again, one game does not matter, but it's the playoffs. And in this game, the defensive coordinator is another candidate, Raheem Morris. Um, in the second half of all the games that have been played so far, so this is before the two Monday games, uh, the Lions had the second fewest yards in the second half, 86. The only other team with fewer, Houston, but they had scored touchdowns and two pick sixes, so they didn't even have the ball, and it was a blowout at some point, right? So the, the the Lions, on the other hand, it wasn't that case. They had a lead. They were trying to, you know, put up more points. They got 86 yards. They scored three points in the final 36 minutes against a Rams defense that, yeah, they shredded in the first, you know, part of the game. But that Rams defense is really not that, like, from a talent perspective, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. You get past Aaron Donald, who's not really having an Aaron Donald-level season, and a lot of question marks, but they were pretty strong in stifling the Lions, and if it wasn't for the Rams going 0 for 3 in the red zone, they may just flat out won that game. I'm not, again, I'm not saying one game means I'm changing my tune on anything, but like I feel like Raheem Morris should get more credit for what he's been able to do this year. Um, and I'm not saying that means Ben Johnson should get less, but if the Rams, if the Rams do win that game, are we really saying Ben Johnson was all that? Uh, not as much, no. I mean, I think the Raheem Morris thing is interesting because obviously we had him here. He was part of that uh, 2013 Skins coaching staff that, uh, you know, everyone every five seconds has to reference. But he never gets mentioned with those people. I think, A, because he's a defensive-minded coach, and B, because he already was a head coach and it didn't go so well. It's It's notable, though, the way people rave about him as a person, like there does seem to be this charisma to him, this like magnetism to him. I, I remember when he was here, people talking about that. And I think, you know, his football, I mean, the fact that he's on Sean McVay's staff, I, I think says a lot about him, but you know, with the Rams defense, it isn't some great defense. So, I, I, you know, I'm not sure what to make of that. Like you say, well, Raheem Morris has done a great job with, with a defense that is uh, made up of guys who just aren't that good. Or do you say, well, I don't know. I mean, it's not it's not one of the better defenses in the NFL this season. Like Mike McDonald has coordinated one of the best defenses in the league this season in that of the Ravens. You know, Dan Quinn, bad showing over the weekend, but the Cowboys statistically were one of the best defenses in the NFL this season. The Rams were not. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if this head coaching momentum for Raheem is just more about the way people view him as a guy and maybe view his overall body of work. But like, the Rams defense was not some dominant force this season. Now did a good job in the second half against Detroit, as you just outlined. Uh, but yeah, you know, th th this again to me is one of those deals where you have to interview these people and talk to these people. And as an organization, say to yourself, okay, if this guy's our head coach, if this guy is our leader, is he bringing something to the table to where he should be that guy, you know, and maybe Raheem Morris has that going for him. Uh, but if, if I just look at his defense this season, great performance on Sunday night in the second half. But I don't know. I, I was not overwhelmed by the Rams defense this season. Yeah, I, I would agree this season. But, you know, they were they were better statistically down the stretch. I mean, they won seven of the last eight. And, um, you know, it, it sort of to me is like 
sometimes the best coaching job isn't done by the team that came in first. It's done by the team that came in 12th. That's what we often, or, or what, you know, somewhere lower. It's like why we see a lot of times the, a coach of a year award doesn't go to um, Andy Reed. It goes to the team that like came in ninth or so, you know I mean? Like the, yeah. the, the, the coach that got you to a certain point, like, wow, what a great job, but they didn't quite, uh, didn't quite get there. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm just, I'm sort of like, if I don't, I know everybody's kind of saying Ben Johnson's the favorite of their favorite. Ah, you know, okay, maybe. And he, but even if he is, he's probably the favorite for a lot of teams. So what if they don't get him? Then then what do they do? I think to me that becomes interesting because I think at that point it's really wide open. You know, I kind of I understand the point of going for the offensive guy, but who is that? The only other offensive name they've picked to interview so far is Bobby Slowick, who is a 36-year-old one-year coordinator. That, that, that is potentially a huge jump. He also has been working with Adam Peters prior to Slow going to Houston, so Peters would know. Uh, then it's a bunch of defensive guys. I hear the reservations, as he said, on, on that. I won't be surprised if, like, Steve Wilkes, the 49ers coordinator, ultimately gets an interview as well. But, um, yeah, I, I think that part's going to be interesting. We're, we're, we're a little bit away from that still, even though interviews virtually can start this week. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, if, if Johnson ends up the choice, easy peasy. But I also think that even since you and I talked last, you know, Belichick's officially on the market. We'll see what happens with Dallas here. I think we're all kind of waiting for Mike McCarthy to get fired. Um, you know, all these things, you know, what is, how does this possibly shake up the board? I mean, Mike Vrabel is another one, right? So I think it's, it's, it's more complicated, I think, than even, like I said, a week ago when the Ben Johnson rumors were starting to, to gain some momentum. Yeah, I mean, if the commanders really want Ben Johnson, it's hard to see what other opportunity would Johnson find so much more appealing, right? Like if you're Washington, the cap space, the number two overall pick, the new executive, I think it's pretty clear Josh Harris is going to pay whatever is asked. You know, we know that Carolina wants Ben Johnson. I, I don't know why in the world he would choose Carolina over Washington with David Tepper and Bryce Young and everything going on with the Panthers. So I would think if the commanders do really want Ben Johnson, they can get him. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'd be surprised if like he looks at another situation as being that much better than the commanders. And I get, you know, I'm a fan. Okay. There's a bias there, but um, I, I think Adam Peters coming here really does communicate the way that this commander situation is viewed right now. I also think about this too. So we know that Josh Harris is big on analytics. We don't hear the name Eugene Shen with the advisory committee. We don't know to what extent, if uh, any extent he has a say so in any of this stuff, but you know, the, the sort of analytics new age approach to NFL head coaching is you get the young offensive minded guy. And I don't know if, if that bias is in the mind of Josh Harris or not. Like we've talked about, you don't have to have an offensive-minded head coach to have a good offense. You know, see Houston, see Buffalo. But I, I do wonder if there is any of that bias in the mind of Josh Harris uh, or if he's saying, no, I want the best leader of the team and, you know, we'll figure out the other stuff beyond that. As you've said, this is an off-season coaching cycle in which the primary head coaching candidates do seem to be mostly defensive-minded guys. It sounds funny saying that because we talk so much about Johnson and Slowick, but like there are a lot of uh, defensive coordinator types who are coming up uh, in the head coaching conversation. So I think that's something to keep in mind too. This is probably a terrible analogy, but bear, bear with me. So my, again, just to be the devil's advocate guy, 
Here's my question on Ben Johnson. I certainly don't know enough about him, his hopes and his dreams. I don't know if he's given a coaching job. What does he want? Does he want a coach-centric model the way Ron Rivera has it? Does he want at least to have certain say than rather than just being hired for the coach? Does he not have leverage? He's a solely, you know, relatively young guy, doesn't have a ton of experience. We've all sort of elevated him to some sort of uh he's already done this before. Billy hasn't. So I don't know where things go on the leverage front, but I'm sure the level of desperation between teams will to some degree dictate what he's able to get and what he isn't. Now, because he does have seemingly some leverage, is he in a position to say, you know what? I appreciate the fact that you hired Adam Peters and I appreciate the fact that he's well-regarded. I don't know Adam Peters. I kind of want my own guy. Now, maybe they know each other. Maybe they've been scheming this whole time and maybe that's already, the cast is already died or the die is already cast. Sorry. But like, if he doesn't, if he and Peters doesn't have a relationship, wouldn't, I mean, I would think logically he would say, Hey, I don't need to be coach centric, but I want to pick the GM just the way, you know, if one of the radio stations said, Hey, Al, your podcast, you're killing us here. We got to get you off your podcast, get you back on radio with us. We'll give you whatever you want, but you're going to work with this board op. You might be like, well, I don't know. This guy's like a wacky zoo morning board op guy. I don't know. Really? That's not my style. I want to pick my own board op. Is that a sticking point? I don't know. But I mean, again, that's why I think it's not a great analogy, but like th- that's what I want. I do wonder about that because Carolina right now, they don't have a GM. That's pretty wide open. Atlanta has a front office, including Kyle Smith. But after what they just did, I think they are, you know, fungible. Uh, the Chargers currently don't have a GM. The Raiders currently don't have a GM. There are other opportunities for somebody to say to Ben Johnson, hey, we can just debate the level of the coach-centric aspect, but you can lead the way and sort of pick your crew, even if that means a GM that will make the final decision. So that that's like sort of – and then there's the money, of course. If Tepper's offering him $10 million a year – and, uh, you know, Josh Harris comes at you know, something lower than that, then, you know, money can talk for some people. Yeah, I mean, look, we have – Washington has its person running football ops, so I'm not letting anyone dictate anything in that regard. Adam Peters is the guy, and if that really is a sticking point for Ben Johnson, then, all right, then maybe that's a sign that this should not happen. Uh, what I think is notable with Ben Johnson is, so this is only his second season as the Lions offensive coordinator. This really is uh, a rapid rise for him in the coaching ranks, what he has done. And it's his great work that he's done the last two seasons with the Lions, resurrecting Jared Goff, et cetera. But, you know, it's not like he's some lifelong offensive coordinator who finally is going to get an overdue shot. I mean, this is actually, in a lot of ways, beyond even what Sean McVay was. You know, Sean McVay, at least, was here for years. He was the offensive coordinator for three seasons, 2014 through 2016. And then after the 16th season, got the head coaching job with the Rams. And, it, it, you know, back then it was viewed as, oh, my goodness, Sean McVay. We thought that eventually he might be a head coach, but is he really ready for this now? And a lot of that had to do with his age. But people also would bring up, well, you know, he's only been an offensive coordinator for three seasons, et cetera. And, of course, that hiring worked out so well and that hiring is in a lot of ways the reason that we see so many teams now trying to duplicate that by hiring young rising offensive minds but I don't know that Johnson has enough uh you know kills has enough uh pelts on his belt to be able to command uh major say so in player personnel certainly to be able to command dictating who a team's general manager is now he is highly sought after like you said so maybe he can parlay that leverage into dictating those things that I just talked about. But, you know, I, I think there is sort of a, a big picture view of Johnson that we should keep in mind. Like he's only in his thirties. He's only been an offensive coordinator for a few seasons. He, 
you know, Jay Gruden has a great word for low-level assistants on coaching staffs, slappies. Ben Johnson, if you look at his resume, he was a slappy just a few years ago. Like, he, he really has not been a high-level assistant for very long. So I, I would be at least somewhat surprised if he was able to dictate, you know, big-time terms uh, in this uh, in this offseason. But he, he is being sought after by a lot of teams, so you can't be entirely dismissive of that possibility. And, you know, I, and like I said, it's all a level of desperation. We don't perceive this as being a desperation situation now because Josh Harris doesn't typically operate that way. Um, and we don't, you know, we know he, he's, he gave Adam Peters a five-year deal, which is not a out of the box. I don't know what the, the money terms were, but it doesn't, nothing felt desperate about that. And Adam Peters had, Adam Peters had options, but we just went through this. Ron Rivera was given the head was given the coach centric thing, the final Sam personnel, despite having zero experience having done that, because this is what you have to do. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, Again, I'm not knocking Ben Johnson, the coach or the coordinator or whatever, but you know, like it's still kind of a blank slate because he is applying for another job. And I can see David Tepper saying, Hey, what's the money gonna be? You can we'll we'll reshape this around you. So that 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 would be my only thing to say. And that's why I'm I'm curious about the potential um number two guys. Um, as I mentioned, Belichick out, Harbaugh clearly is starting to look harder um I, i've seen zero evidence to suggest either one of these guys are in play I, I don't think it makes sense for belichick this forget washington's perspective this is a rebuild of some sorts he's trying to win immediately that doesn't make any sense for him harbaugh is going to want to have final say in personnel i imagine to leave michigan so he's not going to want to do it so i don't think there's anything to discuss there unless you, so you can either just say agreed or you can give me a reason why they should look harder at them no, I agree. And I mean, as far as I know, there's only been one person who has reported commander's interest in Jim Harbaugh. That's not a name that others have brought up. And we all know with Belichick that is being fueled entirely by national people, not local people. And that's not even being fueled uh, by every national person, the Belichick thing. There now are multiple national people pushing back on the Belichick thing. So, yeah, I think you're right on with that. All right. Well, so we'll wait and see. The interviews are going to be this week. I, I do want to switch to a different topic that occurred this weekend that is going to be very relevant to Washington, uh, presumably based on picking number two. And that is Jordan Love with the Packers. Uh, you know, this is his fourth year of the league, his first one as a starter, and he has looked lights out, not just in the game this weekend, but to get Green Bay, you know, so, sort of like the Rams. They had to get on a little bit of a surge late. He looked really good. And, uh, you know, okay, but he's going to get to the playoffs. Things will probably fall apart. Nope, not even close. And my wonder is this, and I haven't done the full math yet, but we all talk about this over time. I am a firm believer that I would almost never start a rookie quarterback year one because the pressure just seems to be too much. And typically you're going to a bad team. You know, I'm talking mostly about guys who are being picked in the top five or 10. Sometimes you can get like when Roethlisberger showed up with the Steelers as a, as a rookie, they were already like a really, a real team that he just had to sort of manage. You know, he didn't have to do too much to some degree Lamar Jackson was like that a little bit even though he had an MVP level year he wasn't like the Ravens or like a legit team um and we see all the time guys get thrown into the deep end and it starts to fall apart but you know what you almost never seem to see is a guy who sits on the bench for at least a year fall apart I'm not saying it hasn't happened this is where I have to do the math but Carson Palmer sat for a year Mahomes sat for a year obviously Green Bay is the extreme with Rodgers and love sitting for multiple years. 
I, I, I just, again, I, I don't, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I don't remember somebody being groomed to that degree and then completely bombing. And also to the degree, like they, it's not, they're not sitting just because there's the star player. These teams use their first round pick knowing the player would sit like they could, they could have traded Rogers or, you know, whatever. As Washington gets up here with the number two pick, I think this is a conversation that we're going to have to have collectively going forward because the pressure will be first to start this kid without knowing who it is. I will be inclined to say they shouldn't. Yeah. So I would disagree with you on this. Just how because dare you? Yeah. Well, it, it is, it is their show. So I, I no, no. be careful with what I say, I guess, but no, I, see, I think over the last like 10, 15 years, there are enough examples of rookie quarterbacks doing well to where teams should not be fearful of starting rookie quarterbacks. And I think one of the funniest things in the NFL, again, over the last 10, 15 years, is how many times a team goes into a season saying, yeah, we drafted this quarterback, but he's not going to start. We're going to start veteran X. And then inevitably, the rookie quarterback ends up starting a lot sooner than anyone ever anticipated. See Tyrod Taylor, Justin Herbert. See, if you remember Tom Savage, Deshaun Watson with the Texans, Years ago, there are a lot of other examples of a team goes into a season, says, we're not going to start the guy. He's going to wait. He's going to bide his time. And then what you end up doing is you end up starting the guy. And, and a lot of times you end up starting the guy a lot sooner than you ever anticipated. And I'm a big believer in those who can do. And so if you can do well, if you are going to do well, you do do well. And maybe it's not perfect from the beginning. And maybe there are some growing pains. But I think more and more we're seeing if you can do it, you can do it. Like the Mahomes thing, I think is interesting. Sitting year maybe helped him. I think it's also possible he could have played in 2017 and been great that season. You know, like I, I don't know that him sitting out a season did anything other than eat up a season on his rookie contract. Like I think if Mahomes is as good as he is, could have probably done what he did in 2018 and 2017 or something close to that. I think the Packers, their situation is freakish. This doesn't happen. This is crazy how this has happened. You know, with Jordan Love, I think part of the conversation, too, is for a good chunk of this season, he was not doing well. He did not look like he was the guy. And then out of nowhere, over the last, like, two months or so, he has become the guy. This really is impressive and really is shocking, just the greatness that this guy has ascended to over these last few months. So, you know, I think you give the Packers a ton of credit. You obviously give Love a ton of credit. I don't know that you can replicate that, though, in other circumstances. it's, It's not something that you see a lot of and when it comes to Washington and the number two overall pick you know if you take a quarterback at two presumably you're doing that because you really believe in the guy and you think that the guy can be great and I think if you think that then you should think that he can do well at least reasonably well in his rookie season so I understand the sentiment I mean I don't think it's crazy and I think you're right there are a lot of examples of guys sitting out and then eventually doing okay or doing better than even okay But I also think there may be like a selection bias with that, because if a guy isn't showing that he's good enough to start, then the guy never ends up starting. And so, you know, if you if you sit out a year or two and then you end up starting, it's probably because you've shown an aptitude for the position. And so the team goes into it knowing, okay, this guy probably is going to do uh, well for us. But um, yeah, I you know, I, I think that you have Bryce Young's, but you also have C.J. Stroud's. And I think that's the other thing, right? Like, you're always going to say, well, we know not every rookie quarterback does well, but enough do do well to where our guy will be one of those guys who does well. And I I think I would be surprised if Washington did not approach 
with a rookie quarterback next season that way, assuming that we do have a rookie quarterback next season. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's why I said, like, you know, almost always. I mean, there's always exceptions, right? I mean, yeah. Cam Newton played day one right off the bat, and, you know, it's pretty clear early that he was going to be um, one of those one of those kinds of guys. Um, you know, I mean, and just because, like, Jamarcus Russell bombed or Vince Young flamed out or whatever – um, doesn't mean that there's a, it's a guarantee. I, I guess my point is just simply that typically I find, and you said this right, there's guys who end up starting because you, you didn't expect it. I think it's just because this is one example where the coach or the or the front office falls prey to, to fan pressure because the, especially when your team is losing, it's one thing like the year that Carson Palmer sat, John Kitna was their quarterback and they actually weren't terrible. So, you know, you can kind of go from there. But like if the, you know, or even like Alex Smith with Mahomes, I mean, obviously nobody realized they had the you know the generation's best quarterback there, but Alex Smith was you know they they were making the playoffs they 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 were you know in contention so that you could let the kid kid wait. Um, all I'm saying is that like whatever they do, you know, let's just see. I, I, I the the anointing of saying Drake May or Jaden Daniels or whatever should be playing. I that to me would be uh, let's see if they're if they really have the aptitude, so be it. But especially as a rebuild. It's okay. Just let it breathe to a degree. But anyway, we will have plenty of time for that. But go ahead. You, you want to say something else? Yeah. Well, I, I think what's also notable is, you know, the league has changed. The league has evolved. Passing is a lot easier today than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. So more and more, I don't know how applicable quarterback circumstances from like 20, even 15 years ago are. And even though, you know, that may not seem like that long ago, with the way that the rules have changed, offensive philosophies have changed. Like, I, I think that playing quarterback today in the NFL is as easy as it has ever been in terms of completing passes and doing well. That's why we see so many guys do well. Like, it, it's funny. People all the time talk about how there is a dearth of quarterbacks, quality quarterbacks in the NFL. And I don't know. I mean, I guess you can maybe construct that argument. But what I see are a lot of young quarterbacks who are doing well. You know, we're seeing more and more rookie quarterbacks have not just good seasons, but great seasons. We're seeing quarterbacks come out of nowhere and do well. You know, see Tommy DeVito, see Taylor Heineke, see Jake Browning. Like if the position of quarterback is so much harder today than it was in yesteryear, how come we're seeing these things? Like, I think that the way the game is played, the way the game is officiated, the offensive philosophies. I think now more than ever, you can come from college and hit the ground running in the NFL as a quarterback. Now, that doesn't mean that it's easy. That doesn't mean that you don't have guys fall on their face, okay, because we do see that. But I feel like it's more doable now than it was, say, back in the day. And so the things that happened, even like in the early aughts, you know, like Carson Palmer, right? That's going back like 20 years now. It's, it's not that long ago, but I think it's long ago enough to where I don't know that it applies anymore because it's just, I think it's different. And the other thing too, and, and I mean, you know about this and everyone listening knows about this, but the rookie Wade scale has changed everything. And so if you spend a first round pick on a quarterback to not play him in his rookie season, you know, those, those, those precious first four years or five years, if you exercise the fifth year option, that's got to kill a front office at this point, because that is the, holy grail for NFL front offices, right? The great young quarterback on a rookie contract. And so to burn one of those seasons without playing the guy, uh, that's got to be something that a front office doesn't want. So, uh, and this is why this is a fun conversation we'll have again. So 
I agree with you. There are guys that seem like you can plug and play a little bit easier when you need somebody in relief. The, the Jake Brown was a perfect example. Guy looked pretty good. But there's a difference between being able to play two and three games and playing the season. And that's the thing with like Taylor Heineke. Sure, for two or three games, you could say, hey, it, he's in the game against Tom Brady in the playoffs. None of us knew it at the time, but turned out that they had a chance because Taylor Heineke was not uh, going to shrink in the moment. But over time is where things don't work out. And that's what we're talking about when we say we're drafting a guy in the first round, of the you know, a team is, then what is that? What does that mean? I, I do think kids today in general, like in society, are more mature than the kids of the same ilk 30 years ago. Um, whether that's be, and I think it's because they're just exposed to a lot more of a life. And, you know, in the case of football, these guys are playing all over the country. They have all these quarterback camps that didn't exist before, all these things. So I do think there's a little more preparation. But at the same point, you know, the the class from a couple of years ago with uh, uh, the Trevor Lawrence class, right? I mean, I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence is a bust, but obviously he's not quite lived up to the expectations. And the the rest of that class, uh, you know, Justin Fields, we'll see. Trey Lance, obviously not working out. Mac Jones is looking like a like a bust. Uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, I'm forgetting somebody. Well, whatever. You know, you, you sort of get my point. Like, so we'll see. I mean, look, the, the quarter, judging the quarterback thing is super duper hard. There is no argument there. Um, I just, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, and, the, you know, even if they do what I'm saying, does that mean Sam Howe is the main guy or they bring in like a Jacoby Brissett type? That's a whole another uh, debate. Um, go ahead. Yeah. And, and you know, we have seen enough quirky and bizarre and unpredictable quarterback scenarios here to where just because Washington would take a Drake May at two overall doesn't mean that Sam Howell might not end up being the QB one again at some point somehow with this team, like strange things happen. Weird things happen. You know, see Heath Schuler, Gus Verrat, see RG three Kirk cousins. Like there's a lot of stuff that can happen at the quarterback position to where you think a guy is dead and buried in terms of ever being the starter again. And then he winds up being in that spot. So that's why I'm not in a rush to get rid of Sam Howell. You know, I've heard some people bring up you trade Sam Howell. No, like Sam can be back with the team. Worst case scenario for him, he's your QB2. I think he has shown enough to where he can at least be a capable, if not good, backup quarterback. It's just, you know, do you have that high end with him? Do you have that that uh, ceiling with him to where the guy can be great, which is what you want? You want greatness. And I think a guy like Drake may certainly has that capability. But, yeah, I mean, the worst thing you can do is say, well, we're certain of this or we're certain of that. Like, to me, until this team has a franchise quarterback, you keep drafting guys, you keep throwing darts at the board, and you hope somehow, some way, somebody sticks, whether it's a Drake May or a Sam Howell uh, or a Jake Fromm <laughs> or whoever. Somebody's got to hit at some point, you would think, you would hope. All right, last question on this, and then I'll let you go. 2004, the uh, Washington Redskins draft Heath Schuler with the third pick. And it turns out the best quarterback was the guy they drafted in the seventh round, Gus Farratt. 2012, they draft RG3 number two. Turns out the best quarterback was the guy they took in the four, fourth round, Kirk Cousins. If they're going to pick second this time, do, do they need to, just in case, <laughs> pick a day three quarterback? I think if they like someone, yeah. I, I would not be against that. If you remember, because I remember this clearly, when the Skins took Kirk Cousins on that Saturday of the 2012 draft, 
There were so many people, fans and media, who were outraged over that. How dare you do that to Robert? What is Mike Shanahan thinking doing that? Oh, my goodness. This is going to disrupt things. This is igniting a controversy. Even Kirk himself has admitted that he was not thrilled about being drafted by the Skins. That turned out to be arguably the single smartest draft pick by this team over the last at least 20 to 25 years. Now, I know that the competition for that honor isn't exactly fierce, but heck yeah. Uh, I don't want Adam Peters to act scared. I don't want him to act uh, out of, oh, we might hurt this person's feelings or that person's feelings. Yeah, if you like a guy, take a guy. Now, don't force it. Like I don't think you have to do it, especially with Sam Howell on a rookie contract, but I would not be against that at all. Uh, if Drake May or whoever you take it to is truly going to be the guy, then it won't matter that you took a quarterback later in the draft. We will see. I, I feel like we have enough storylines this offseason. We don't need that one, too. But, yes, if uh, if it works out that way, hey, I always say, if you want to take a quarterback every year in the on day three, knock yourself out. Um, all right, Al, uh, the Al, Gal- Al Galdi podcast, the Al Galdi show, the Al Galdi universe. Go, f- go listen to him on Twitter at Al Galdi. Um, also, he's always talking at Nats over there as well on his uh, other Nats podcast. My guy, I appreciate it. Uh, we'll see where this goes. Um, by the time we talk next week, I, it won't be. Uh, no, they'll be in position to start talking to uh, head coaches uh, in person. So we'll, so we'll see where we are then. Thanks, man. Yep. Thank you very much. All right. Big thanks to Al Galdi for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. As always, I really appreciate everybody uh, staying with us. It's going to be a very interesting offseason. I really hope you guys can can stick up, stay around. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot to discuss, and I'm you know really excited to do that. So uh, we'll, we'll get to an Adam Peters post-press conference podcast, if not tomorrow, soon after. But for now, Ben Standick signing off. Until next time, see you.